welcome to the premiere episode of the Jacobin Sports Show. The first in a limited series. We don't know how limited it will be. Depends on how many of you actually listen. I am Matthew Miranda, and my host is Jonah Birch. Um, how you doing, Jonah? Pretty good, man. Excellent. You know, it's a it's a tough tough time out there. Tommy Lasorda died today or last night. He someone who did a lot for Italian Americans, so that's pretty difficult. But otherwise, I'm all right. Yeah. How about you? In light of everything going on, I feel like saying I'm okay is probably better than many, um, but I'm okay. It's been an interesting decade so far, and what better way to commemorate all the intense real-world drama going around us than to spend 40 to 60 minutes talking about sports. So there you go. In today's episode, we will be covering um, the NBA and a little bit of the NFL playoffs. Um, so let's just dive into it. And... I think we would be remiss if not acknowledging that the biggest story clearly in the world of sports is the resurgent New York Knicks, who are off to a robust 5-3 and three start. I will obviously, as a Knicks fan and someone who covers the team, have plenty to say about this. But, Jonah, I wanted to open by asking you, as a Celtic fan, do you care about the Knicks improving? You'll, you'll often hear... People prognosticating that the NBA needs a good New York team or it doesn't need a good New York team, specifically with the Knicks. And I wonder, as someone who hasn't had to probably think twice about this team for the better part of 20 years, do you personally care one way or the other if the Knicks are good or not? So, you know, first of all, I, I think uh, Twitter will have a good time with the fact that uh, the Jacobin Sports Podcast starts off talking about the Knicks. Uh, of course, of course, that's what happens. Uh, and uh, shout out to Bhaskar Sankara, who is also a Knicks fan. Uh, on the one hand, if the Knicks had been good at all in the recent past, I'm sure I would be angry and, and resentful and and you know dislike it. On the other hand, it, it does feel um, more appropriate to have the the Knicks be a, a relevant team. Now, I, I was going to say some people would argue that whether or not the Knicks are good. New York has a, a good NBA team in Brooklyn at this point. They clearly don't have anyone at the level of Julius Randle and Austin Rivers, who, who was dominant the other night. Few teams do. Outside of the Lakers, very few teams have a duo like that. Yeah. Yeah, clearly that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good that the Knicks – I hope the Knicks are good. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure how far this team is, is – uh, how much of a mirage this is. Mm -hmm. uh, as an outsider, actually, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's uh, this team is going places, or um, is this sustainable? There's trends in both directions. I, I would still bet money today that they'll finish with a losing record and miss the playoffs. Um, because I think I question. So, to their credit, not only are they five and three, but they've done it against what has been the league's toughest schedule so far. And they've done it very depleted injury-wise. Um, their lottery pick, Obi Toppin, has missed most of the season. Alec Burks, who got off to a really great start for them um, and was giving them some shooting and off-the-dribble creation that they haven't had in a long time, he's been out most of the season. Uh, Franklin Lakina has been out most of the year, and Dennis Smith Jr. And while you may not consider them the, you know, the most exciting and, and impactful point guard duo for a team that generally is piss-poor at that position, any loss in depth is a problem. So the fact that the Knicks have been this successful against the caliber of opponent they have been winning against 
as depleted as they've been, I think is a major positive. I would say the questions on the other hand are, I believe Julius Randle and RJ Barrett lead the league right now in minutes played. And I don't know, um, some Nick fans will have um, maybe a case of the Vapors if they remember when Mike D'Antoni was coaching and his first year he rode Amari Stoudemire like relentlessly and stat was never the same again. And obviously Randall and particularly Barrett are younger than Stoudemire was then and haven't had the injury um, history that he's right. had. They still have knee cartilage left. In they, they have human knees and they have cartilage. So I think what's hard is... I think the Knicks have been so bereft of quality coaching for so long. Like even you saw last year when David Fisdale was coaching, the Knicks were four and 18 when he was fired and the rest of the year under Mike Miller, who just like was striking for his competence. They basically won at like a 400 clip, which is like 32 wins a year. Presumably Tom Thibodeau is a better coach than Mike Miller. And I think the team has more talent than they did a year ago and a better diversity of talent. So I don't think a, a, in a normal 82-game season, like a 36-win pace would be crazy. Um, I still think probably I wouldn't bet money on them making the playoffs. But I will say that most of their success, no one in their rotation is over 29. Their best player, Randall, is 26. Their second first-round pick, Emmanuel Quickly, looked from day one like a veteran. I think that they will surprise people. I mean, you know, it's also such, it's such a strange year in the NBA and and we should talk about the Western conference too, but obviously the East is looks better, uh, but things are so up in the air, you know, in some ways it's not surprising that there are some teams that that surprise us and some players that are surprising us. Uh, RJ Barrett has been really good at, but Julius Randall looking like, you know, Carl Malone is a, is a, is a shock. Uh, and then I'm just, you know, I'm looking at the team defensive ratings oh, and yeah. the Knicks are what seventh in the league at this point, mm-hmm. you know, they were at the bottom last year. If that continues, that would be a, you know, very impressive, surprising. That would be surprising. Yeah. I don't expect Randall can maintain this pace. I saw a stat the other day that he's, put up numbers through eight games that only Oscar Robertson and Giannis Antetokounmpo have ever done in terms of points and rebounds and assists. But I will say in Randall's defense, when they signed him last year, if you look at Randall's, I believe his his last year with the Pelicans, he was a third option behind um, Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. And he put up really nice numbers, like good numbers, good shooting, scoring, rebounding. Um, We know he can pass. And when he came to the Knicks last year, I don't think – I don't think Randall was plan A or plan B. I think they had been banking on Durant forever. Um, and when that didn't work out and they turned to Julius Randall, I don't I don't know that Randall went into that offseason expecting that he was going to be signed somewhere and suddenly go from the third option to being the number one option for the first time in his career. And when you put him on a team in that role and you surround him with one of the worst shooting teams I've ever seen, there was a lot of accusations of Randall being selfish, and I totally get that, and I was frustrated by it also. But I wondered during this past offseason, since there was nine months of it for the Knicks, if Randall had suffered because he was miscast as a lead and and was encountering a role he had never encountered before and spent more than a quarter of the season under a coach who didn't seem to have any idea of what to do. When you watch Randall this season, I think one of the things, I don't think he's going to shoot, he was for a while at, 
40% from three. I don't think that's going to last. Um, I don't know if he's going to finish with seven and a half assists, but when you watch him now spinning into doubled and triple teams, but making smarter reads than he did last year, stopping his dribble, having enough continuity with some of his teammates that he knows who will be open in the corner, who will be open on the wing. I think Julius Randle borderline all-star is something that's, that's sustainable. And I think that the defense, because, particularly because it's a Tom Thibodeau team, and also because Mitchell Robinson managing to stay out of foul trouble for the first time in his career gives the Knicks a constant defensive presence that they haven't had it probably since Tyson Chandler. I think some of those things are successful. You're right that it's, it's very hard to contextualize this given how wacky everything is in the league, how wacky that you have a team like the Knicks that have been off for nine months. The Lakers and Heat have been off for maybe two Orlando is is somehow six and two. The Suns are atop the West. Home court doesn't seem to mean anything. The Knicks have a winning record on the road, which is bizarre given they've played almost entirely playoff teams on the road. It's very, very difficult this year to to have a, a stable sense of expectation like we have in the past. Speaking of which, one of the stabler rosters in the league belongs to your Boston Celtics. I'm curious what you think about the Celtics at this point in terms of what you've seen. They've had some good wins. They've had some tough losses. Um, what have been your impressions so far of the Celtics? I mean, they're stable only because Gordon Hayward was injured the entire time he was on the team. So him leaving That's true. hasn't changed that much, although he put up uh, 44, 45 the other night. Yes, he, did. He, he was killing it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, they've been... Uh, They've been pretty much what I expected. I mean, um, Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown both look great. Uh, Obviously, Jalen Brown has taken a a step forward. And his, um, you know, some of the weaknesses of his game, he's worked on to the point that he looks like he has a different ceiling. uh, Or his ceiling is higher than I think people thought. I mean, his dribbling his passing, his playmaking ability still at the end of games, you know, I think come playoff time, what you'll see is that when crunch time hits, they're going to put the ball in Tatum's hands and have, you know, the big uh, um, screening for him and, and run him uh, off the pick and roll and have Jalen on the wing. But uh, you know, the two of them have been, have been really good Um, as has uh, Peyton Pritchard. And that's the big surprise on the team. Uh, there's a big debate about his uh, nickname. Eminem, you know, right? Going in different directions. <laughs> Someone called him Eminem. Yeah, Eight Mile. Tatum called yes. him Eight Mile, and off of that, I think people, some people are going with P Rabbit, which I guess like B Rabbit, Eminem's character mm. in the movie. Other people, you know, Weird Celtics Twitter is really pushing the Fast PP nickname, which I guess was his Twitter handle before he came mm. into the league. Uh, anyway, that's that's a you know a real controversy. They have some some good pieces for sure. Um, Time Lord has looked really good. Robert Williams, um, you know, and and I like their their depth. That they're with the bigs, three bigs, Tristan Thompson uh, and Tice, who people really underrate how good he was last year, especially defensively. Yeah. But the big question is, um, you know, how Kemba Walker is. He's been out with, an, uh, you know, obviously knee injury so uh when is he going to come back and how is he going to look and then i think also that you know they need another another probably another wing 
and another wing who can score. Um, and they have that big trade exception. They actually have a couple of trade exceptions, but they have one very big one uh, because of the Gordon Hayward sign and trade with Charlotte. So, you know, that, that would be something that they could use to, to uh, bring in another playmaker, another wing off the bench. Um, it's hard to see what they would give up. I mean, they have all their picks, but now, you know, they, they've run out of uh, the, you know, the, the abundance of draft picks that Danny Ainge built up um, during the rebuild with those, those Brooklyn picks and the, um, the Kings first round pick that became Romeo Langford, who's been out injured. And then the Grizzlies pick from last year. So they have no extra picks anymore. Um, but they, they do have space to bring, bring someone in if something becomes available. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, the East is, people have said, and it's true, it's, it's stacked. Mm-hmm. Philly looks great, obviously. Actually, I mean, Philly and, and Miami are still the teams that scare me the most. Maybe I'm underrating Milwaukee uh, just because of last year. But, um, you know, Philly is, is, is terrifying if they have some spacing and some shooting. And it's been really good with, with their starting lineup under Doc. And then, obviously, uh, you know, Brooklyn – started the first couple games very well and people were writing them into the finals. They've slowed down obviously since then and things seem pretty up in the air there, but there, there's a lot of teams in, in the, in the East right now, I would say. So, uh, you know, it's still early. We have to see how things develop. Yeah. Before we branch off, we're going to talk about Philly and a couple other teams and a couple of their NBA issues in a, in a minute. But um, I wanted to ask you a couple a couple more Celtic questions. The first being, do you right now, assuming Kemba Walker returns and is reasonably healthy in himself, do you feel any more or less hopeful of this team's ceiling than what you have felt the past four years? And like, what what would constitute for this team, assuming Kemba returns and, and they have reasonable health, what would constitute a successful season for this team? Oh, they they have to get to the finals for this this to be a success. I mean, they've gotten to the the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the last four seasons. Mm-hmm. So clearly, the organization was trying to do two things at once. It was trying to compete, sort of, in the short term, while while building this long term core around Tatum and Brown, uh, and they they succeeded in a lot of ways. Probably, people would say they underperformed maybe even last year. I mean, I, there are a lot of people around Boston think they were, they were better than Miami. I mean, that may not be fair, but uh, they, they really got hurt by the, the, the Hayward injury. I mean, the, the final Hayward injury uh, in the bubble, the start of the bubble, he was, the team played very well at the beginning of the bubble. And then he got hurt at the beginning of the playoffs, you know, and that really, that really screwed them a little bit. Uh, in the playoffs. And then obviously the year before the last Kyrie year was a disaster. Um, so I think at this point, they, it, it has to be a team that, that gets to the finals. And yeah, I mean, I think their ceiling is, is pretty high. They have a lot to figure out defensively. They've actually been pretty good offensively, not as good as they were last year, but not bad. Uh, but defensively, they've had real problems. But a lot of that is stuff that's organizational stuff. You know, no preseason, no summer league for the rookies. Um, so, you know, maybe that some of that stuff they'll figure out. And, and there's a way in which I think they have the the 
ability to be a better defensive team than, than last year. I mean, Thompson, uh, Tristan Thompson, you know, obviously is, uh, has been a very good defender in the league and gives them something you know, in terms of guarding other, you know, bigs down low that last year, I, you know, Tice is where he was, he was excellent defensively, but struggled against some of the, you know, the Joel Embiid's of the world. Yeah. Thompson's and, a different presence. Yeah. I mean, lots of people struggle against Joel Embiid, but, uh, but he, yeah, big, bigger physical center. And then uh, they had Ennis Cantor, you know, as the backup there. And obviously defense was, has never been, and it's his forte. So, right. uh, you know, I, I think they have the ability to, to, to get there. Now, I, last year they really struggled against Philly until the playoffs. It's, it seems funny to say because they swept them in the playoffs when uh, Simmons was out, but that Philly team was so flawed and still in the regular season, it was, they, they really played the Celtics tough. Um, so, you know, and, and then um, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, lots of teams in the East could come together and I think Miami has underperformed so far. People say the Atlanta team is intriguing. I'm not sure how much I'd buy that, but you know, that they're going to be a real contender in the East, uh, Indiana as well. Uh, but I, they have to get to the, to the finals for this season to be a real success. I would say. Speaking of the Sixers and you, are more qualified maybe to address this than a lot of people. Um, the Sixers did a nice job this offseason of actually adding some guards who can shoot, and Seth Curry and Danny Green. Um, the Sixers are also under, I think, a similar pressure to the Celtics in that there's been years of growing expectations, and now I think a little bit of of push for like, okay, like let's let's really see some payoff. Is Doc Rivers enough of a difference maker? Do you think as a head coach that in addition to some of the roster tweaks that they've made, is is Doc Rivers enough of an upgrade? Is he the kind of coach that can lift a team from one level to the next, do you think, if particularly the 76ers? Yeah, so Doc, I, Doc has had a very up-and-down career, obviously. And uh, if I remember, well, he won Coach of the Year with Orlando, with the Magic, yes, right? Yes, some, did. Know, it was a year that... Um, they had signed so McGrady and Hill were both on that team. Yeah, but Hill was hurt right from the start. Right, Grant Hill was hurt right from the start, and uh, I think maybe Tracy McGrady got hurt that year too, and he took them to the playoffs if I, if I remember. Uh, but so, and then he, you know, he ends up on the Celtics, and he was after they were terrible in 0607. They make the Garnett trade. He was perfect for that Pierce Garnett, Ray Allen, Rondo, Perkins team which I think, you know, was not necessarily uh, the easiest group uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they certainly had their moments, obviously, uh, you know, of conflict, but uh, he was good for that team. But then the way the, the Clippers thing ended, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, I really hurt his reputation. <laughs> I, you know, probably he's, he's someone that players – often respect and respond to he, you know, and, uh, in, and that Sixers team probably needed someone with some cachet at this point. Uh, but also they just look like a much better, much more well-constructed team this year, obviously than last year. I mean, it's so funny. Uh, you know, I, I think back to the beginning of last year, 
and listening to all of these NBA pundits, some of whom I, you know, I think obviously know the league much better than me, but go on and on about how, how, you know, the Sixers are the favorite in the East. They had come so close the year before, before losing, uh, and Joel Embiid and Simmons were, you know, they were just on the cusp. But the fact that they, that they had had what was obviously a disastrous, idiotic offseason where they let J.J. Redick go and signed Al Horford, signed another big, and essentially built a team with so little shooting. Uh, you know, to me, it wasn't such a surprise that they had those struggles last year. And clearly they've solved that, right? I mean, Seth Curry has been really good, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. for that team. And that their their um you know their their core lineup is it, it looks um looks mm-hmm. really good, you know, and adding that shooting dimension, uh, obviously really helped them. So I you know it's a different roster than last year. Yeah, I mean I think I think Doc could do really well with them though. I like them better with Curry and Green and they have Shake Milton and they have Corkmaz. I still think and wonder. You know, losing Jimmy Butler while paying out a lot of money to Tobias Harris, I think Tobias Harris can be a, a helpful piece for them depending on what else is around them. But I think if you're depending on Tobias Harris to be the third best player on a finalist, I don't think that happens. I don't think he does enough of anything else. And and maybe now with the space and the other shooting, maybe things will get easier for him. He did not have like the best transition to that team, given that his rep is, is that of a shooter. Um, but maybe, you know, I've seen it with the Knicks this year. Maybe the Sixers have added enough shooting and enough spacing that that alone, you know, opens up parts of Harris's game that couldn't happen when they were a tighter offensive fit. They certainly always seem to play good defense. Um, Embiid and Simmons are both brilliant at that. Danny Green seems to guarantee every team he plays on will make the finals. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think their ceiling's really interesting. I really feel like, especially this year, I guess it's the case every year, but matchups will matter. I don't feel like they want to see... I don't feel like they want to see certain teams until, uh, you know, as late as they have to. And, and I wonder if the Celtics are one of them for them. Sure. I You know, poor Tobias Harris was was thrown onto this team... Uh, and uh, got that huge contract, and it, it was he was a terrible fit for that team, obviously. And the fact that they that Jimmy Butler left, and I, I don't think he was going to resign there um, as long as Brett Brown was there, right? I mean, isn't that the, that that he was not happy with the? I think there were rumblings about that. I don't know if he's addressed it since then, but like I know he did a podcast on Reddick's show, and. I, I believe there were some hints that like Butler wasn't entirely stoked about the leadership or the structure or how Brown was running things. Right. Now tell me, you know, so Lakers fans hate Danny Green, huh? Uh, that's the impression I get. They're, they're not happy. Is that so? I didn't know that. I think so. Cause he, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a great, he was not good in the finals, I think. And he missed that shot when the, he missed a shot. Um, yeah. I mean, Laker fans, <laughs> That may be a different standard of comfort. And the Laker fans are the first world of, of sports fans, so I don't really care what Danny Green did in a, in a year that they won the title. It seemed to work out okay. His teammates didn't seem to resent him. 
Um, but speaking of the Lakers, I'm glad you brought us that segue. I wanted to ask you what you think. There's been a lot of talk this offseason and even into the season that the Lakers, they made all these improvements. They're clearly, they're head and shoulders above what they were a year ago. They're head and shoulders above the rest of the league. And I do think that Dennis Schroeder and additions like Montrez Harrell and Marcus Gasol and Wesley Matthews undoubtedly will be helpful for them, especially in the regular season. And I think their bench and especially their offense now does not have to be completely reliant on LeBron James. But watching the Lakers so far, and it's it's too early to make any conclusions, especially for a team, again, that has basically had five minutes off. But do you feel that, as opposed to Rondo and Green and even maybe Dwight Howard last year, do you look at this Laker team and feel that they are a more prohibitive favorite than they were a year ago? Like, do you do you think it's too early to tell, or do you think that they've exchanged, you know, some benefits for some drawbacks? Because I've only seen a little bit of them this year, um, and again, I don't want to make, you know, far-flung judgments too early, but I'm surprised that Schroeder and Montrez Harold, who was run off the court by Jokic last year, and Mark Gasol, who is older and slower, and Wesley Matthews. I'm surprised that that's the, he's, he's those, a glacier. Those, those are the four horsemen that people have decided just elevate the Lakers to this dynastic level. And I'm not sure I feel that way, but I'm curious what you think. You know, for I, I'm just so happy that Rajon Rondo, who was my favorite player on the Celtics, was there, is no longer on the team I hate the most. <laughs> I, you know, that was so difficult to watch him win a title. Uh, on the Lakers and be an, an integral piece on, on yeah, the championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, so I, uh, look, as long as they have LeBron and Anthony Davis, they're going to be, you know, they're, that team is going to be favorite, right? Uh, uh, LeBron seems like he's going to play until he's 50. He's, he's going to really go to 18, 18 finals in a row, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, I, you know, and then they have some some pretty good bench pieces, right? I mean, I think Caldwell Pope has been pretty good. Obviously, Lakers fans love love Caruso at this point is my Yep, Taylor Horton Tucker too. Sounds like he's supposed to be the breakout star of the year from what you hear from the Lakers and people around them. Right. Yeah, I you know, the Montrez Harrell thing is um is uh I thought that was interesting. And I mean, the Schroeder thing makes sense to me. They wanted to get yeah. you know, little bit younger and obviously he's um you know someone who he looked great uh you know on that Oklahoma City team um last year uh but uh yeah people are really excited about the Gasol signing I I'm it'll be interesting to see whether he can um whether he can hold up and how much he has left come playoff time uh and whether he has a lot to contribute you know at this point and then, like you said, I mean, look, Montrez Harrell, someone you're going to play in certain matchups. <laughs> I, I, there are going to be other matchups where he's he's not going to be that useful. Uh, maybe they'll ask him to do a, a little bit less than the Clippers were asking him to do um, last year. Personally, the the one Laker I would like to see play really well, I, I think he's kind of a lefty and uh, is Kyle Kuzma. But uh, I'm not sure – um he's ever going to quite reach the level that uh that some people have hoped hoped would would happen yeah because it was a, a strange arc he seemed 
you know, early on destined for this really big role and with the changes they've made that just has not really materialized. And he, you know, he does some things. I'm not sure how important of a fit he is on them going forward. Um, I know the owner loves him. Jeannie Buss apparently loves him. But yeah, Kuzma's a... I get the sense from... See, it's weird. When they were in trade discussions with the Pelicans for Anthony Davis, they traded literally every piece except Kuzma. And it sounded like that really mattered to them. But I know that it sounds as if other teams around the league don't value him that much. Um, Because he's basically... You know, he's basically a, a a scoring for. He's probably not really cut out to 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 be great as a three, but he's not really a four that you can put out there to bang for thirty two minutes a night against you know people like Montrezl Harrell. But again, when you have LeBron, you can pretty much plug in just about anything. My brain always it happened again the other day. I think LeBron just turned thirty six, and my brain has to do this rapid math with him where it hears that. And my brain initially is like, oh, 36, okay. Like, so he's now he's not good. He's, he's going to slip up. And then I'm like, oh, but it's LeBron. Like, numbers don't apply to him. So 36 doesn't seem to mean anything with him. It's um, just incredible. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous watching. There was a clip of him coming down the floor. He got a breakaway dunk. And he's not, he's not quite, like, head at the rim or above the rim as when he was younger. But... That guy, he spends apparently like a million dollars a year on his body, and it might be worth it. I've never seen it, a guy like that, where he, even Michael Jordan at 36 looked still brilliant, but like he didn't look like Michael Jordan at 32. And LeBron James just looks like nothing's changed. Was it, th- Those were the uh, Wizards years. I think 36 was his age at the very end of the Bulls um, championships. I think I think he was born in 62, 61 or 62. So um he he was 39, 38 or 39 I think when he started playing for the Wizards. So and and I just remember and I know things have changed but like back in the day 36 was like you know Olajuwon on the Raptors or Ewing on the Magic or you know Karl Malone taking a lesser role, maybe not Karl Malone, but like most and now and even now, Carmelo Anthony is, you know, if you look at LeBron's draft class partner, comrades, um, you know, Carmelo Anthony is a bench player for a, a decent team and looks like that should be what he is. Um, Dwayne Wade out of the league a little while. Chris Bosh obviously threw a more serious health issue out of the league. That was tragic. That was yeah. Really sad. But most guys, you know, the Knicks just re-signed Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson looks like what a 36-year-old NBA player should look like. LeBron James, yeah, LeBron James could be 26 the way that he looks. You know, I'll tell you, so, I, you know, the, the Jordan-LeBron uh, debate, the endless, which tore Twitter apart for some time. And uh, I, you, you obviously want to stay away from that. But I saw them both in person, and you're, it was when Jordan was a little bit um, older. I saw them both live, Jordan at the Boston Garden and uh, – and, um, and LeBron in 2008, I was at this uh, the Game Seven, the Celtics-Cavs Game Seven. Oh wow! Where Pierce had 41 and LeBron had 45. And at the end of the game, there's a there was a famous steal LeBron made, and he basically he stole the ball at half court and took what looked 
to me, like two big dribbles, two steps basically, uh, and dunked it. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a person move that fast. I mean, just as an athlete, he's just, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never seen anything quite like it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and then obviously all the advantages of modern medicine and mm-hmm. uh, diet and physical training and his commitment to, uh, yeah, I, it looks like, uh, you know, he's a different player. Sure. But uh, he's, uh, he's still playing at, at a really high level. Now I think it's funny. He and, uh, and Brady, are apparently buddies always congratulating each other on social media. And uh, which is uh, amusing because, you know, people think of Brady as, as the the most famous kind of Trump friend fan in professional sports and LeBron as the, like, you know, one of the more outspoken Trump haters, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real testament to, you know, the ability of, of Americans to come together, like Joe Biden always calls on us to, you know, maybe beyond politics or something. Uh, but, they, you know, obviously they're both, they're, there's real par- parallels there about their ability to play at a very high level, very late, in a way that just would have been unthinkable mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago, you know. Probably aided by um, their ability to just maniacally compartmentalize. And speaking of compartmentalization, last NBA point, um, as you nice, nice transition, by the way. Thank I you very, that. thank you for. <laughs> I, I took inspiration from LeBron's transition game for that one. Um, <laughs> I was covering a preseason game. Um, it was the Knicks played Detroit in a preseason game a few weeks ago, and it was first game I had covered obviously since their season ended. And I watched the bubble, and I covered some of that too. But this was the first time I was really, really like you know intensely focused, like I usually am. And it was this surreal experience where so I didn't have at the time. Um, I didn't have cable and I had YouTube TV, but YouTube TV didn't get MSG, which is the next network. So the only way I could watch the game was on an, an illegal stream, um, which ended up giving me the Pistons broadcast. And because it was a stream, um, there's no commercials, there's no ads. So when they would go to a commercial, you know, the stadium's empty. Um, they would go to a commercial and the camera has to stay, the feed stays with the arena. And so and this is, you know, mid-December when the pandemic numbers were on the rise from the, I think, post-Thanksgiving um, infections. And the Pistons dancers are, every time there's a commercial break, the camera is showing some solo dancer pretty much the whole time for two minutes, like putting on this dance show um, up in the up in the stands, up in the arena. And it was this bizarre, surreal experience because... I couldn't shake my head. I couldn't get my head beyond why in a pandemic in an empty arena with no fans is are the are the Pistons owners making these non-essential workers come to Little Caesars Arena and dance for no one? And and in light of that, and just watching these first few Nick games, um, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm curious. Is it any appreciably different for you watching these games with the absence of fans? I haven't had the experience because once the the last season was canceled, the Knicks were not involved again, and I didn't have the same emotional investment. So the bubble was just weird for me, period. But seeing now them having played some home games, um, and especially you know a lot of lamentations about, boy, the Knicks are finally good for the first time in years, and there's no fans around to see it. Is it weird for you? Is it any? Is it? Is there anything? 
is it different seeing for you these games the way that they are or is your focus so much on just the team and the play itself that that's mostly what you're you're noticing Oh yeah. I mean, of, of course it's different. Uh, and actually the, the weirdest thing was uh, watching uh, Raptors home games in Tampa yes. with a few thousand fans. Yes. Uh, most of whom are, I mean, the games I watched were not Raptors fans for sure. In some ways that was, that was, that was the weirdest one of all, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, the bubble was weird, but you kind of got used to it. It's a little bit stranger to be back in the stadiums and, like, you know, I was watching the Knicks the other night, uh, you know, at, at MSG, and uh, it's the, the garden looks bizarre with no fans and the big banners on the sidelines. And so that's a, that is certainly a, a strange experience. I, I really like what the Celtics have done, putting their championship banners behind. Uh, I saw that. Golden State did it after that. I think Golden State got got the memo and followed what Boston did, but that Boston thing looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's been different. And uh, uh, of course, I mean, you wonder if the big question is, are fans going to be back come playoff time? Uh, it's going to make such a difference, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, and in a number of ways that could be surprising. Maybe it'll be, you know, now they're traveling, but you'll see some of those very high shooting numbers that you saw in the bubble with no fans there. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was no travel there. They were all in the same place. So this would be a little bit different, but obviously also home court means something totally different, right? With, yep. with no fans. Yep. Um, I, I, before we get off the NBA, I got to ask what you think about the nets and uh, is there any chance that they become like a, a, a genuine competitor to the Knicks in New York? If they're, if they're really good with KD and Kyrie. No. Um, short answer is no. Long answer is, and I think of the comparison, um, not in terms of success, but in terms of um, relevance to a community. In Manchester, England, um, forever, Manchester United has been maybe the biggest sports club in the world, certainly one of them. And their um, their neighbors, Manchester City, were kind of this comic, you know, sidekick um with with some 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 great moments in their past but just were remarkable they're the only team in the premier league to go from winning the league one year to being relegated the next and they went i think 34 years without a trophy while united was the dominant you know team in the world i mean in the late 90s didn't didn't manchester city get relegated to like the third league yes they almost dropped again they needed a miracle comeback not to drop again and then so my point being, right around 2008, 2009, um, City is taken over um, by an extremely powerful Middle East nation, and they start <laughs> pumping investment, just <laughs> pumping, pumping investment, um, making huge grabs, and United notices, and it's the typical arc where, like, at first they're kind of, you know, laughing and dismissing, and then there's anger and annoyance and then at some point they actually have to deal with it and in 2012 city um win the league on the very last kick in the very last minute of the season to beat united by the slimmest of margins and they had beaten them i believe the year before um in the fa cup which is the the big domestic tournament in english premier football ever since then so basically for 10 years now 
City has been the dominant team in English football. Better than United, better than Chelsea, better than Liverpool. Not the last two years, maybe, but for a 10-year period, they've won four league titles. They dominate all the domestic tournaments, and United has really been in a tailspin. Um, they keep trying different managers. They can't seem to attract like all the top players that they used to. Um, even when they do, like Paul Pogba, um, he wants out and has been vocal about it. And with all that happening for 10 years, this season United right now is near the top of the table for the first time in forever. They're, they're about midway through the season, and United is right up there at the top. And you can you can feel the energy, not just from the fan base, but even if you follow the English press, like the United is the Yankees of... England and like you can just you can sense the collective desire to have this team back where people feel they belong just to have something to talk about and root for or root against the Nets would have to be a dominant team for 10 years to make any kind of significant inroads into the New York City market now I don't know on a national level you know it's different when I was um, teaching the last couple of years um, at college, and my a lot of my students more and more now root for players rather than teams. So maybe that would change, especially if they keep bringing in stars. And all credit to the Nets, like they've they've made the moves they had to do. They had a great win last night um, against I think the Sixers, and they were missing the Nets were missing three of their starters. They've done everything they have to do to put themselves in the best position that they have been in probably in my lifetime. But the idea that the Nets are going to make like the Knicks are five and three. And when the Knicks were like two and one, the Knicks winning a game was the top story on the back pages of the papers, not the Nets. The Knicks at five and three are a bigger story than the Nets would be if they were seven and one. They play each other in about a week. So that'll be interesting. Um, and I know the Nets this year especially have a million national games, whereas the Knicks have. I think it's either one or three. It's a very low number. So we'll see. But like, no, I, I don't think signing two players in their 30s who have question marks health-wise, physically, and otherwise, and um, who who don't I, – I, we'll save the Nets for another broadcast. But no, I don't think that the Nets having some success with – even if they win a title, I don't think the Nets winning a title means nearly as much to the city – as the Knicks becoming a winning team would. So let's move on now and talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs. Um, just a couple of quick hitters before we call it a day. First question is, I'm wondering if you find yourself rooting for or against um, any teams in particular. I'm assuming the Patriots are your team, and as they are blessedly not in the playoffs this year, do you find yourself, are you a Tampa Bay fan because Tom Brady? Are you rooting for like a feel-good story like Buffalo or Cleveland? Do you care about any of these teams at all, positively or negatively? Um, you know, it does, it feels, it, what a statement on how surreal the past year has been that the Patriots are not in the playoffs. You know, it's it's very hard to wrap your head around that they were really terrible this year. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will always root for Tom Brady. Um, maybe that makes me a bad person. It makes me a bad person. I, you know, I don't know what to say. Where some people you can just forgive for anything. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I you know, obviously, after uh, all this, his history, I, I would like 
uh, you know, the Bucks to do well in the NFC. I don't actually think they could they can come out of the NFC, but I might be wrong. I mean, maybe he'll surprise us all. They had a really tough time with the with uh, New Orleans this year. Um, and then in the in the AFC, uh, anyone except for the Chiefs. And the reason I I you know don't want to see the Chiefs win is uh, I don't want any more dynasty talk about Kansas City. As a Patriots fan, that really hurts. I would much prefer that our AFC East rival, the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills make it. Yeah, I, them or Cleveland, who also I you know. <laughs> I mean, they're gonna they're gonna play this game without a coach because of COVID. I know, uh, I know. Which uh, I don't know. But, you know, given what happened in their last game against Pittsburgh, and uh, <laughs> the the problems with the game plan, maybe that'll help. But uh, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, you, of course you're gonna root for the underdog. Now, what does it say? I mean, this is the thing that I think um, people in Buffalo don't quite get about Patriots fans. Uh, Buffalo fans hate. And resent New England fans. I, I mean, really, I think uh, you know, felt very uh, resentful for the people in Boston. Are like, yeah, you know, good, good for them. I hope the Bills do well. They deserve it. It's been two decades of utter futility. You know, go, go get them. Uh, so, you know, there, it's a let's say it's an un, unequal relationship there. I'll say this though, and you might, you might be. Um... You might be blind to your own privilege here, but when the Patriots first started having success under Bill Belichick, and I was a Jet fan at the time, I, I don't, um, I, I don't carry like a long grudge or anything. But when the Patriots started to be good, there was a sense, there was not resentment of them upstate. There was something cute and almost charming about it because they had been bad for so long, um, and that was back when. Um, they were still in the division with the Bills and the Jets and the Dolphins and the Colts were still there too. And yep. the Patriots were the team that other than basically that, that one Super Bowl where they got annihilated by the Bears, they had never done anything. And when they first started to be good, there was still this underdog quality, especially because Drew Bledsoe had been like the big, um, you know, prototypical stud quarterback. And then he went down. And here were the Patriots with not not a not a roster full of seemingly all pros, um, but they you know they just seemed to manage to pull out all these wins, and they were so plucky. and And I wonder if that will start to turn if the if New England becomes what the Bills were, and if Buffalo becomes more successful. Because I can tell you, having lived in Western New York in the '90s, right we moved here right when the Bills started to be good. And there was initial, there was an initial like humility that very quickly disappeared, and I've already seen it literally just in the last couple of weeks. Listening to um, Buffalo Sports Talk Radio, the humility is almost out the window now completely. So I promise you, like um, if the Bills okay. sustain any kind of success, a lot yeah. of fan bases are going to turn against them. Um, I promise <laughs> you, I promise you that will happen. Let me distinct. You know, there's an important distinction here. Jets fans always hated in New England, always loathed. You know, the the Boston New York rivalry was was real, and the Jets. You know, I don't want to say anything that's going to get me in trouble. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, right. So Buffalo is kind of the plucky upstart. I'm not there yet. I'm not at a place where I am, am ready to accept that the. Uh, you know, look, we could talk about it. The, the Patriots have 
what, $70 million in cap space this year. And, and people, mm -hmm. and, you know, well, we'll see what happens. We'll uh, see. And um, I'm, I'm not sure they're as, as bereft as uh, everyone seems to think. Yeah, but uh, yeah. look, Buffalo has just not had a lot of W's in the last like six decades, you know? So I, I feel like the city of Buffalo deserves, deserves something, you know, just, just give them something much more than Cleveland, by the way, you know, the whole, oh, the, the, the Cavs won, uh, you know, for Cleveland and, you know, what it, and it, Buffalo is a city that really deserves a, a W here. So, uh, you know, let them get a little arrogant. That's fine. Yeah, I find myself this year at least I'm I'm supportive of the Bills because I want their fans to have something to enjoy. I'm supportive at least this week of Cleveland against Pittsburgh because I think um, yeah, of course. they're a good story. And I think in light of their um, embarrassing Dolan-led baseball franchise, not James Dolan, but still the same family, um, making their embarrassing, and I'll take it as a Met fan, but their Francisco Lindor trade was an embarrassment for a man worth $4 billion to make that deal. So, so I feel like those fans could use, let's give them something. So like, let them beat the Steelers. Um, I, I can't help liking Baltimore only because I love, I have loved running quarterbacks since Randall Cunningham and Lamar Jackson is just so cool that like, I, I just, I like him. And uh, shout out to the Chicago Bears, who have a really great fan base and haven't won a playoff game in 10 years. Um, and I just always root for fan, you know, just with everything going on, like, let those people have something. The rest of Chicago sports is not exactly, uh, you know, <laughs> the pinnacle of humanity right now. Like, let's, let's, I don't mind if the Bears win. I have to root against Tampa Bay because I will always root against Tom Brady. And... A special shout out against the Washington football team. I think for the players, it's a cool story, but Dan Snyder is probably even a more reprehensible owner than James Dolan. Uh, it's close. If it's close, that's enough. Like, I shouldn't even be close. Um, let me give you one last question. You just kind of, you were getting into this anyway about Buffalo, and I'm curious um, if this applies to you at all. So Buffalo has had for a long time this kind of internal sense of itself as a cursed sports city you'll you would see billboards sometimes in the city that said no um, wide right alluding to scott norwood's um, missed field goal there was the M music city miracle where they lost on a kickoff on the last play of the game for a playoff game in tennessee there was the famous no goal where they lost um, the stanley cup finals to dallas um, on a goal that there was a goal that should not have counted that did so buffalo's always had this kind of sense of oppression and victimization. Um, despite that, they have these incredible fans who, when the team clinches the division and flies back to the airport and it's, you know, Arctic degrees in the middle of the night, there's thousands of fans waiting there to cheer them. And it made me wonder... Uh, you know, that did not seem COVID safe to me, by the way. You know, just to say... I can't stereotype a city, but I will tell you, having lived in Buffalo uh, for about six years... It's always seemed to me that a city that clearly values fun over health, and like I'm not making light of COVID, but just this is a city where the bars are open later than anywhere else in the state, and when it's 20 degrees below zero, you can go to a, a steak, a sub and steak shop at five in the morning, 
and everyone's lined up outside smoking cigarettes with no hat You're on. You're really like, selling buffalo. This look, sounds amazing. I love buffalo. I have never had more fun anywhere. And as far as the place where like people, it, it has all the same real world problems as everywhere else. But I've lived in a lot of different kinds of places, urban, suburban, rural. Buffalo has the best vibe. And if you can deal with the cold, like it is a little hidden gem especially in the winter because who wants to go there but if you live there there's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of great people i'm curious this season and i thought of this as a nick fan especially with the knicks off to this good start for a buffalonian if this was the year let's say the bills finally did it and they win a super bowl i wonder if the experience is diminished for them at all because of the fact that they're completely distant from the team because they literally can't attend games. If you watch, and I always think of this when you watch old footage of baseball or basketball, the Mets and the Celtics both had this in the 80s where when they would when they would win a title, the fans would storm the court or, or the Mets clinched the division, the fans stormed the field. And as time goes on and you have more and more kind of corporate control over everything, now, you know, there's barriers and that's that's all reserved for the the, the television stations and the press, but like, there's that there's that there's some sense of distance whether you think it's right or wrong there's a sense of distance that didn't exist in the past and this year with no fans in attendance in most markets i feel like it's even greater and i'm curious you may not know this cuz you're a spoiled bostonian and all your teams win like every 2 years but whatever sports team you have right now that you most wish would win it all do you think your enjoyment would be impacted due to the fact that there are no fans there to, to, to be there. Like, does that, do you think that factors in for you at all? Do you think it factors in for whatever fan base might have a miracle run, whether it's in the NFL this year or like last year, the NBA with the heat? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm sure I, you know, I was thinking about it when uh, Liverpool won the English premier league last year after yes. 30 years, you know, what a moment. And then there's no fans in the stands, obviously. And, and you can't go out and celebrate in the same way. So I, I'm sure that would be, um, you know, that would be a, a difficult thing. Now, you know, if Cleveland or Buffalo win the Super Bowl this year, I'm sure their fans will be fine. I'm sure, you know, they're not going to say, ah, it, too bad it happened in, in uh, a COVID year. I'm sure they'll be fine with it. You know, of course, of course, it'll be a different thing. Mm -hmm. What about you? I feel like... For Buffalo specifically, I feel like the fans will take it. Like, I feel like if you asked some fans in some situations, and I think Buffalo's special because the Bills are the sports team. It's it's not a city that has, you know, four or five teams. They love the Sabres too, but if you listen to Buffalo Sports Radio literally for 12 months a year, all day, it is the Bills. There's nothing else... To, you know, you'll get a little bit of the Sabres, but like literally, even when the team is awful, for 12 months of the year, they always want to talk about the Bills. So I feel like for this market specifically, if you asked, you know, the collective Bill fan base, would you will you sign up today for a Super Bowl, even if it means you can't be a part of it at all? I think they would all say yeah. I think the vast majority would say yes. I wonder in a city like New York or particularly Boston that has multiple franchises that have all had a lot of that have had a lot of success compared to other cities of late. I wonder if they would make the same deal. Yeah, it would. It would. You know, it's not a bad 
time to have your all your the teams you root for in a, a down in a down period this season. You know, yeah. if it's yeah. gonna happen. Truth. Truth. Now I you know, I'm still hoping that that the Clippers will eventually move back to Buffalo and be and be the Buffalo what were they? Were they the Buffalo Braves? The Buffalo Braves. <laughs> yeah. That was an undeserved L for uh, for uh, Buffalo, I'm sure both. I'm sure Kawhi Leonard and Paul George would happily sign long <laughs> extensions. <laughs> uh, yeah, if they didn't like Toronto, you know they're gonna love. <laughs> if love Kawhi didn't like Toronto, he's gonna love Buffalo. The other know? side of the falls, they're still beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is. Uh, I think that covers the NBA and NFL for this episode. Jonah, thank you so much for everything. Yeah. Talk to you soon, man. Yeah, we will be on again. Um, we'll probably have a guest star that time. We will get the word out f- before that happens. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, hopefully, by the time you hear this, we'll have a, a Twitter site set up so you can comment or um, not comment if you have negative things to say. And we will be back on the air soon. So take care, everybody. That is it for the first episode of the Jacobin Sports Show. 